Get your fill of baseball news and beer reviews at foulballarea.com. Follow our blog for the latest news around the baseball world and read about some of our favorite ballpark beers. Tune into the podcast every Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the topics of the day. Stay connected by signing up for our mailing list or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Foulball Area. Now, here's today's episode of the Foulball Area Podcast with Matthew Atkins and Trey Lyle. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Foulball Area Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Atkins, alongside Trey Lyle, and we've got another great week of baseball talk coming your way. A lot of stuff going on across all levels of baseball. Uh, Trey, where we left off last week, I told you I was going to my first Flying Squirrels game of the season. I went, and I forgot that or I, I remembered that I do not like the pitch clock when I'm actually at a game because I waited in line for a beer and a sandwich and I felt like I missed half the game. But overall, a good experience back at the diamond. Um, yeah. How are you doing? How's your baseball experience been over the past week? It's been good. Uh, did you have fun? Go nuts. I, I did have fun and I went a little nuts. So overall, it was good. I just the, the speed of the game. I like it on TV. I don't like it when I'm paying to be at the game. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Um, some big returns. I've been trying to manage watching baseball and watching the NBA and NHL playoffs and doing the draft. Like, it's a busy week, you know. NFL drafts here. That's exciting. Playoffs have been great on both uh, the MLB and NHL fronts. So uh, I'm just uh, having some fun. Fun is good. Fun is what we like, and that's what we are all about when it comes to baseball. Uh, so far this year, we have done two episodes on college baseball teams. At the beginning of the season, we talked with Evan Hughes to cover Virginia Tech baseball. We did an episode about Liberty baseball. And today we're going to get into another Commonwealth team, and that's the JMU Dukes, my hometown team. Uh, they have had a pretty good season in their first year in the Sunbelt Conference. And joining us today to help us break it all down is the Director of Broadcast Services Emeritus, Kurt Dudley. A big week for the Dukes last weekend and then a midweek game at Blacksburg against Virginia Tech this week. Um, Jamie's been having a, a pretty solid season overall, their first year in the Sunbelt Conference, and we're going to dive into it. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. It's good to have you here. Hey, my pleasure. Good to see you again, Matt. Nice to meet you, Trey. And uh, it's it's good to talk baseball. It's kind of what uh, I cut my teeth on when I went to the Division One ranks at James Madison back in 1988. And I always love to kind of circle back and, and get involved. And this is one of my favorite time of the year uh, when we get into to late April, early May. And we know the regionals and super regionals and college world series is right around the corner. So uh, obviously, you know, JMU made a lot of noise joining the Sun Belt just because they were the best team in the football side of it in the Sun Belt. But this is moving to another, you know, obviously on the baseball side. Mm -hmm. What has that transition been like? There are a lot of really good teams you know, in the Sun Belt, ODU, uh, Southern Miss, uh, just to name it too. So it's definitely a, a really good baseball conference. What has this uh, transition been like? Well, I think, uh, Trey, first of all, um, thank you for recognizing the fact that JMU has had a pretty good transition, uh, speaking collectively with all the sports programs, uh, winning a number of titles and being in the thick of things in nearly every sport. We knew as an administration, as a university, that when it came to the spring sports, those diamond sports like softball and baseball, it was going to be probably the toughest transition, even though football certainly, um, you know, you, you would expect it to be tough, but the Dukes had a really nice transition there. Um, so there have been some growing pains. I think um, if you don't mind me speaking both on behalf of softball and baseball, 
I mean, softball was in the College World Series a couple of years ago. I know we're here to talk baseball, but uh, for those, we we did anticipate that it was going to be, you know, much more challenging week in and week out. Um, and historically, let me kind of go back to one aspect too that I think is kind of interesting. And for you young fellows, uh, you may not be aware of this, but uh, when JMU was in the CAA uh, for baseball back in the 1990s, when you also had the likes of Old Dominion, Virginia Commonwealth, George Mason, uh, East Carolina, University of Richmond, that league is kind of what the Sun Belt is today in terms of its recognition across the country. Um, it was not uncommon for the the what was then the Pac-10, the ACC, the SEC, and then the CAA oftentimes was kind of flirting down in, in you know third or fourth every once in a while, bumping out the Pac-10 every once in a while. The Big Ten at that time really wasn't that much of a baseball conference. It's gotten much better. So, um, you know, from a full circle historical standpoint, it's been kind of nice to get into back into a, a much more competitive league. And all due respect to all the teams in, in the CAA, there certainly, certainly remain some pretty good programs there. But top to bottom, that league isn't what it was uh, back in the 1990s. Um, it has been a transition, but I think we feel pretty positive. You know, we're the Dukes are six games above 500. They're right there. They're in 10th place in a 14-team league, but they're only one game out of third place right now. So, yeah, I mean, that's how bogged it is at this time of the year, which gives you a little bit of an indication of how good the Sunbelt Conference can be. And and just to be sure, there's no postseason ban like there was in football, right? It just a, was that weird rule in football, A right? very good question, yeah. There's There are two things to consider here. One, uh, when JMU left the CAA, there was the postseason ban into the Colonial Athletic Association tournament, which many felt, felt was extremely unfair. Yes, it was a bylaw that James Madison agreed to many years ago, but coming out of COVID, that was kind of a double whammy for a lot of these players. So they they missed basically two years without a sniff of going you know, to postseason. Um, and so there was that. And then there was the football aspect where uh, the NCAA requires, that's not a league requirement, that's an NCAA requirement to have two years transition. Now, uh, that is still undergoing. Uh, we have submitted the, the paperwork, uh, a, a waiver to try to get the second year waived. You know, when you get in the league and you're right there and you, you're, shoot, you basically win the quasi championship, you think you're ready to go. Um, so hopefully the NCAA will will be kind to James Madison and permit the Dukes to play as a bowl uh, subdivision team next year and would be bowl eligible. Um, and I can understand the Sun Belt didn't want us eligible because the NCAA wasn't going to let you el be eligible. So therefore, Coastal Carolina got the title. Um, but no, there is no ban. Everybody else, the rest of the teams in the Sun Belt were all eligible. In fact, the Dukes have won a couple of titles uh, in Sun Belt play. So we're getting into the uh, the thick of the uh, baseball season. We're halfway through college baseball season now, getting towards you know, conference tournament time, uh, starting to see some of these races shake out. Big weekend for the Dukes last weekend down at Louisiana, a sweep over Louisiana. And that's a team that just beat LSU last week. So by the transitive property there, <laughs> JMU is better than the number one team in the country. But how big was that weekend, that three-game sweep over Louisiana for JMU? Well, I, I think what it may have done was uh, helped JMU in its own sense of belonging in the Sun Belt where it can be competitive. There are some very good teams. We have seen a couple of them, uh, you know, come to Harrisonburg. Louisiana came to town last week, as you mentioned, 
Matt, coming off that huge win over LSU, uh, were that, you know, it, it's one of those situations. Was it a trap series? You know, to kind of borrow a phrase, was it a trap game? Maybe to a certain degree. But um, you know, the Dukes hit the ball extremely well defensively. They did have an error here or there, but even those could have been, they were kind of gray area errors that really didn't cost them. In fact, every run that LSU, that uh, Louisiana scored uh, last week was an earned run. Uh, but the Dukes put up a ton of runs in that series and got the the type of pitching they needed to to really quiet uh, a very good offensive team from Louisiana as well. So maybe learning the likes of what they did against South Alabama, the Jaguars came to town and hit the ball really well. And I, I must also give credit to, to Louisiana, even though they didn't they didn't score as many runs, they barreled up a lot of baseballs but the Dukes tracked a lot of them down in the outfield. So it was just a combination of things. I did not see that sweep coming. I was very hopeful that uh, just where we are in the regular season, that uh, uh, taking two out of three at home against the Raging Cajuns, one of the best nicknames in all of college sports, uh, was was going to be good enough. But, you know, the way they came back on Friday night with a walk-off, uh, walk-off three-run homer from a a transfer out of Eastern Mennonite University, Jalon Lee, EMU is a Division Three program right here in Harrisonburg, was was tremendous. He came off the bench to hit it. In fact, there was some question as to whether they were going to pinch hit for him or not, but they ultimately did. Um, and then the next two games, they just dominated. The they won thirteen to two and then nine to four. And um, uh, it, it was there was some resilience in that third game of the series as they were up early and then. Um, uh, Louisiana came back and then they just put them away after that. So uh, it it was probably the most complete series I've seen the Dukes play prior to the COVID, uh, the COVID shutdown. Um, so it was certainly good. The timing is, is great. Uh, unfortunately, they did lose to Virginia Tech on Tuesday night. And that was a, that was a tough loss. They were up uh, five to three in the bottom of the eighth. And um, they had, there were two outs. They uh, threw out a would-be runner for the uh, base dealer at second, which would have been the, was the second out of the inning. Then they get a little bloop double, which was a big play at the time because you're looking at 5-4. But then after that, four walks, a hit batter, and a balk. So that's one of them where you basically handed over and Virginia Tech took full opportunity and won that game on, on Tuesday night. So hopefully a good bounce back for the Dukes when they head to Boone this weekend. You, you kind of touched on it. They're heading to Boone this weekend. You touched earlier on their – they're essentially one game out of third in the Sun Belt. How big is this series against App State where, you know, they really, you know, probably need to get the series win to stay in 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 the fight of things? It is big for a couple of reasons, Trey. First of all, the way that the postseason is set up in the Sun Belt, 10 of the 14 teams will go. So obviously you want to be in that top 10. The next tier that you want to be into is the top six. So um, you know, this series is crucial for for both, but on both accounts. One, you solidify yourself a little bit within that top 10. Um, the Dukes are, are tied for ninth going into the weekend after picking up, moving out of 11th into ninth this weekend. Um, but uh, the other aspect, if you get into the top six, then you're in the double elimination round. So seven and 10, uh, eight and nine will play in a single elimination on the opening day of the tournament next month. And then if you win there, you go into the pool of eight, which from there on out, it becomes the double elimination. So this is huge for that reason. I mean, I think I think going into this year, we felt like, uh, I felt like if the Dukes are at 500 
a game or two above 500 this first year in the Sun Belt, that would be considered a, a successful year. Just like in football, I thought if the Dukes were six and five, that was going to be a successful year. They did much better than that. Um, so, you know, baseball is kind of holding its own here. Uh, and to, to go down there, at least win that series uh, would be huge. And uh, as they get into turn the turn the calendar into May, they have Old Dominion at home. Um, and uh, the other thing is, too, there are a lot of matchups that they could get some help uh, down the home stretch here as well. So we'll be keeping an eye on a lot of those other series, which is exciting. That's what you want. Um, you know, uh, going back to softball, for example, um, you know, the Dukes have been so dominant in the CAA that they would lose no more than three or four games a year. That doesn't happen in the Sun Belt. You know, you can be good and lose eight games a year. Well, the same, you know, in baseball, you can be good and just be playing 600, 670, uh, you know, 666 baseball and, and be good in the Sun Belt. But that's good. That's good baseball. Look at what happens in the majors. It's the same way. Looking at JMU's schedule, I've noticed they uh, they played a lot of other teams across Virginia this year. Um, they had games at Virginia Tech against Radford, BCU, Richmond, a game at UVA coming up next week. We've talked about this before, Trey and I have, that I, I really like seeing these teams across Virginia play each other. And, you know, we, we've talked about the conference changes over the years, and you might not have a lot of teams in the same conference anymore, and you might not get weekend series, but even a midweek game between these teams that are in the same state, I think that's really cool to see. What's it been like, you know, for someone who's been around as long as you have, you've seen all these conference changes, teams, you know, like VCU and Richmond being in the same conference as JMU and then changing. Now they're still being able to play these games against each other. How cool is that to see these teams keep those connections a little bit? I, I think it's great. I, I wish, uh, you know, the basketball schedule doesn't permit you to do that as as widely because you just don't play as many non-conference games, obviously. But, um, and the other thing too is, when you play in the likes of the ACC, uh, even the CAA, uh, maybe not so much in the Big South, but in the Sun Belt, all your conference travel is you, you have very few bus rides. I mean, you're, ta you're talking about getting on a plane. You're talking about a plane and a bus ride. Uh, and particularly in the, uh, the Sun Belt, there aren't just by the nature of where a lot of the schools are, the travel isn't point A to point B. It's usually A, B to C, um, you know. Um, so with that, it almost you almost are required to play some really tight regional teams, which I think is wonderful because baseball in the in the Commonwealth of Virginia is pretty good, um, you know, and and it's great to have those rivalries. Uh, the Dukes have done have been really successful this year. That uh, the loss to Virginia Tech is only the second um, Tuesday Wednesday loss all season. They had done very well against the likes of many of the other. Uh, common opponents all year, George Washington, George Mason, Richmond, uh, VCU, uh, and VMI. And uh, I guess they didn't play Liberty this year, uh, no Longwood or or William and Mary, but you got a lot of options. You can rotate those through a little bit. And I I would certainly be not be surprised if, you know, coming up in the next couple of years that you see JMU and William and Mary, um, a one year to the next year, uh, series in in February or, or March, you know, um, although a lot of times you want to go south where you know, know you're going to secure the, some weather, but uh, better weather. But um, I could see some of those being, you know, still being a one, two game series or, you know, two, three game series potentially, particularly if, um, you know, how the scheduling might might match up. Of course, the CA is bigger now, too. So William and Mary may not have as much wiggle room to, to do that as well. But um, I, I anticipate 
you know, it was great. Last night, the Dukes went and played a seven o'clock game at Virginia Tech. Dukes are back home at 1230. That's that's wonderful. They'll go to Virginia. They'll be back probably by the same time next week, even with an earlier game. So it, it makes sense. It's good budget um, and it's good baseball and allows fans to, to make a few trips as well without spending a ton of money. Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to that Virginia Tech game this week, Trey and I, both Virginia Tech grads, we sure. spent four years going to games at English Field. We saw the transformation it went through. Was this your first time down there since they've done the re renovations, or have you seen it before? No, I had the chance uh, to go down last year. I was actually there for the uh, for the regionals. I was there for the Friday and Saturday action of the regionals, and then went back down for game one of the Oklahoma uh, Virginia Tech Super Regional last year. So that was the first time that I had a chance to really hang around the stadium, get around the stadium. Mike Scovan, who's the sports information director for the Hokies baseball, he and I have known each other for a while as he was at Northeastern. Uh, They're extremely hospitable. I, I told him last night when I walked in, I feel like in some regards, I'm, I'm you know, at somebody else's home that I feel very welcome, uh, you know, and so I, I have full uh, reign to get around the stadium, and and uh, which is great. Uh, I do appreciate the hospitality there. And heck, we got a lot of JMU dudes down there too. Uh, when you talk about Kenny Brooks and 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 Whit Babcock, of course, and many others that have been extremely successful there uh, with the Hokies. And and congratulations to those two gentlemen. Uh, which, by the way, I was their SID when they were at JMU. Kenny, I was the assistant, but Whit was my was one of my student athletes when when he was playing baseball for his dad at James Madison. But yeah, nice. Well, well done. Marlon Eikenberry, the head coach of the Dukes and I yesterday, um, we were behind the shell during BP. And uh, while that was happening, kind of looking back and, and, you know, how it was, you know, English field was originally, because I, I had to actually, my daughter is a, is a Hokie alum. And uh, so she, a little quick story here. She had, had put an order in online uh, with the bookstore and asked me to pick it up. Well, we left about 30 minutes later than the original plan. So I had to hoof it from English field all the way over, you know, the far side of the drill field to the bookstore uh, before five o'clock. I had eight minutes to spare to, to pick up her, her order from the online yesterday, but I saved her the shipping. So everything was, was good. Um, but we got back and um, just, uh, I, I had not been to a game with the Dukes since that that transition of of English field so but they've done they've done a wonderful job of it uh we like the you know the 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 terraces the where you can bring in your blankets and your seats uh, your your lawn chairs and whatever and then you've got that little barbecue area too which they cranked that up during BP I was I was ready to go man it was this those hamburgers <laughs> smelled great um so yeah great atmosphere that they have down there now but what I was going to say too is on my way to the the bookstore I was trying to remember my first game at Virginia Tech would have been the spring of 88. And they played, I think, at it was it was next to Castle Coliseum. And I think there's a building on that field now. Um, there used to be a huge netting that every time Franklin Stubbs would hit a home run, the net would catch it before he would knock down Castle Coliseum with some of his long balls. But uh, but my first game there, quick story, is in 88. Uh, David Taylor, who still uh, works with us a bit, uh, he and I are both emeritus status at JMU, but um, uh, he and I went to do a game there in, in 88, and it rained. There was no press box. They set us up at a table right beside the fence down the first baseline, and Gary Michael, the sports information director, who was my boss at the time, stood there with an umbrella over our heads so that we could keep our scorecards from running. It didn't help. 
our scorecards ran all over the place. It was like a, a night, uh, 17 to 12 game, I believe it was. And all we, 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 we just had to remember everything. We didn't have, we couldn't keep our notes because it was raining so hard, but, but many times back and forth between Blacksburg since that time. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, you know, seeing the, tra- I think we were there the first two years when it was like the old school English park and then it kind of transit, you got to see the transition and, you know, seeing that was, it was pretty cool. And, I think our senior year, the fact they could sell beer at the stadium was really yeah. nice as well. I, <laughs> yep. We really, as we were 21-year-olds, and that we could enjoy that. Uh, speaking of going on the road, that's what JMU is about to do, log a lot of mileage. Uh, we, we touched on the, the travel to App State, a big game against a top-five team or top-ten team in Virginia, and then a series against Marshall um, coming up uh, first week in May. How important is this You know, eight-game stretch for the Dukes? Because... Obviously, uh, you touched on there's a lot of games at home at the end of the year, but just kind of maintaining, you know, the status. They're they're in the hot, they're in the you know fire of this conference race. But it, even if you say let's go 500 here, how important would that be? Well, 500 is probably the aim. Uh, but thank you. Start off the Dukes right now, for example, are seven and ten on the road. Now, three of those losses. Let's go back to the very beginning of the season. Uh, Dukes are were behind the eight ball right away, going to Tallahassee and playing Florida State. Yes, an ACC program. Uh, you know, if the Dukes played Florida State at this time of year, would those games be a little better? I would think so. I would hope so. Uh, you know, the Dukes going down there in February. Um, you know, all the all the um, uh, all the cards are stacked against them. Florida State's got every everything uh, working in its favor. So if you take those three off, then the Dukes are seven and seven since that time. Um, you know, winning winning those games on the road. And a lot of those games that have been won on the road were against um, Commonwealth opponents, you know, on the road as well. Now, the they actually, they would be, a, I, I've got a gut feeling they might be a little closer to 500, even on the road now. Um, they won the only game that was played at Arkansas State, which is a team which is down in the rankings. Uh, Jamie won nine to four. Now that was a 10 inning ball game, but that's the only game they got in. Uh, there in Jonesboro, I, I'm pretty sure the Dukes are a better club. So, you know, winning, saying winning two out of three in that series, you know, would have been nice. But yeah, this is this is a critical stretch. And that Trey, that just kind of goes back to what I was saying, even about the the, the Apple, the App State series itself. Um, you know, you just have to kind of compartmentalize, do you know, get two out of three there if you can. Marshall is going to be a competitive series but not on its home turf. That's almost a neutral site because that series is played in Charleston, West Virginia, not on Marshall's campus, um, you know, in Huntington. So maybe there's a little bit of a benefit. Maybe that neutralizes things just a little bit, but coming out of that, I think the big thing is they can't afford to go in, you know, to that stretch, put Virginia, the Virginia game between those series aside, you can't go and six in there, you know, you, you four and two is really uh, would be a great situation. If you're three and three, fine, but anything less than that's going to be a tough situation. You got to stay 500 or above, in my opinion. Well, it's going to be an interesting road trip to watch, and we'll be following along the rest of the season for JMU. Uh, a lot of good teams across the Commonwealth this year, and we're rooting for all of them. Uh, it'd be really cool to see a lot of them make it to the postseason this year. Uh, Kurt, it's been really fun having you on. Really awesome to hear your stories about you know going back to Virginia Tech back in the the 80s back before English field and all that that was really interesting but uh 
been a lot of fun and I appreciate you joining us today. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate it. Good to see you again, Trey. Nice to meet you. Good luck with this podcast as you continue on and enjoy the rest of this college baseball season. Still a lot of exciting games to be played. Thanks again to Kurt Dudley for joining us on today's episode of the podcast, breaking down JMU's first season in the Sunbelt Conference and giving us a fun little story there about his early time with JMU and traveling down to Blacksburg. I never knew the baseball stadium used to be over near Castle. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, you know, when we went off the air for a little bit talking to him, he kind of explained it to us. And it's like near the new football facility. And uh, yeah, that that's something you uh, you learn, you know, something new you learn every day. I didn't know that. So that would have been like basically all three major sports were in one place, which, yeah, you know, it's rare for a college to have their basketball arena and football stadium like right next to each other. And built, they were built at the same time. So it, it's interesting how, you know, how things swung out. But uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, that is that was cool to learn. As we mentioned, JMU on the road at App State this weekend, looking to stay in the hunt in the Sun Belt Conference, try to make the postseason tournament for the conference. Uh, By the other... way, have you seen where Boone plays? Like the like. Oh yeah, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's right I, in the mountains. I've been to Boone a couple times. I I actually wanted to go there when I was looking at colleges, and I went and visited there. It was a beautiful campus. Um. Obviously, I'm you very changed glad. Your mind. Yeah, very, very glad that I changed my mind that I ended up going to Virginia Tech. Because you met me. That's right. For I met, no, yeah, me? I met you. Right. Yeah. Not the fact you met your wife. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that is uh, probably the biggest reason. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful yeah, campus, beautiful me. baseball stadium. Having this podcast. <laughs> Don't know where I'd be without you. Other top teams in Virginia, the Hokies, they host UNC this weekend, a big ACC series. We've said it before uh, Virginia Tech is starting to turn their season around and they continued that last weekend with the series win on the road at Florida State big series win 24 to 9 was the score on Friday night a 4 to 3 victory on Saturday and then they lost the game on Sunday but still series win on the road against Florida State that's huge for Virginia Tech as they try to really turn the season around get back to the success they were having last year uh, and have a you know have a good finish to the ACC season and UVA, probably the top team in the Commonwealth, they have a big series against Duke, who is also ranked number 20 right now, and that's at home for the Cavaliers this weekend. So big weekend across the board in Virginia baseball. Uh, switching gears to Major League Baseball, a couple of big things happened this week. Uh, first, Fernando Tatis made his return to the Padres. Yeah, and he's going to get plenty of booze and plenty of steroid chants at him, and, you know, he seems to be embracing him. I saw the video of him dancing to him last night, and he's looked really good in the outfield. It's kind of weird seeing him in the outfield, but obviously with the signing of Xander Bogarts, they're moving him to the outfield. But, yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I expect him still to eat. You know, he, he was tearing up the minor leagues when he left, which a guy that good should be tearing up the minor leagues when he's not – it you know they they called it a rehab assignment but you know it was from basically just get him at bats with a year off but I think it's going to be uh, fun to see him back uh, in the major leagues um, and we'll see how he plays I think he's needed if the Padres want to you know accomplish what they want to do and that's win a World Series and we will uh, we will see I I think he's played well to come out but it, it's good to have him back it's definitely something the Padres need because they haven't gotten off to the start that they'd hoped for. Um, you know, they're not playing as well as people expect from a team that is the World Series favorite and a team that made the NLCS last year. So 
they can use all the help that or they, they, they can take all the help that they can get. So uh, I'm sure that they're happy to have him back. Uh, we'll see if he can, you know, continue the hot streak that he had when he was in the minors preparing to come back up. But, you know, I think he is going to get a lot of negative reaction from opposing fans when they're at away games. And I think he deserves it because, you know, my opinion on performance enhancing drugs. And I don't think there's any excuse for that in the game today. So I think he deserves whatever kind of chance he gets. And, you know, I saw the Cubs fans the other day chanting he's on steroids or something along those lines. And it's going to happen. He's going to have to deal with it. Like you said, he was dancing along with it. Didn't seem to face him, but it's just going to happen no matter where they go. Uh, other big news across Major League Baseball this week. Actually, this just happened right now as we're recording. The St. Louis Cardinals have sent their top prospect, Jordan Walker, down to Triple A. He's a guy that was widely regarded as a favorite for National League Rookie of the Year. We each picked him for National League Rookie of the Year. He started the season with a 12-game hit streak, so that pick looked pretty safe because a 12-game hit streak is a great way to start your career. But in uh, or since that hit streak ended, in the eight games since that hit streak ended, he has struck out nine times in 28 plate appearances. He's only had one extra base hit in that span. His average has dropped down to uh, 192. Uh, I'm not sure if that's overall or if that's just in the in those eight games. Um, but he's not been playing well since that hit streak ended. Still, I think it's a little too early to send him back down. You know, they say that he's going to get plenty of at-bats when they send him down to Memphis. They say he's going to make adjustments at the plate. Uh, I think it's too early, too early to to send him back down right now. Yeah, his average was down to 274 overall. So it was 192 in that eight-game span, but still 274 overall. So so a guy has eight bad games, you send him down. I don't agree with that. Yeah, this move makes no sense. The Cardinals are nine and fifteen, anyways. They're not. They're not off to a start that we expected of them. He had what a thirteen-game hitting streak to start out, which games. was like twelve. Okay, so one of the longest so, to yeah. start a career. Like he's gonna come back to earth and hitting one fifty-seven, and him coming back to earth because he's a rookie. I think this is something of a service time thing, probably at the end Could of the be. day. That's probably what it what is ultimately. They want they want service time. They kind of made it look like it wasn't by saying he's on the opening day roster, and then they're gonna bring him down for a couple. Like that that's the only explanation I can think of because this guy's playing too like he's playing well, like plain and simple. He's playing well. I know he struggled late, but he's overall played really well, and it it just it makes no sense to me. It, at the end of the day, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, he he has been playing well. And like you said, the Cardinals, not off to a start that we expected. I, I mean, I picked them to win the division. I think you did too. Um, I, we said they have a really underrated team. They've got a lot of talent on that team. And I still agree with that. And again, we're only in April. It's way too early to be making any kind of conclusions about how the season's going to turn out. But... They have been disappointing, and so when you have a bright spot like he is, even though he's gone a little cold for eight games, I don't know. Wait it out. Give him some time. But I'm sure they'll call him back up in a couple weeks, and everything will be fine. Speaking of poor starts like the Cardinals have had, there's some other teams that have had some pretty hot starts that have been unexpected. 
like in the Cardinals' own division, did anyone expect the Pirates to be in first place in the NL Central? How about the Buccos? How about that? Pittsburgh Pirate Baseball. They get, they bring McCutch back and their playoff team again. Let's go. I mean, their best player, you know, Cruz obviously breaking his leg was not ideal. And, um, you know, shout out to the Pirates for uh, for playing some great baseball to start the year. Yeah, they've been really good. They've been really fun to watch. They signed Brian uh, Brian Reynolds to a long-term contract, $100 million. And a uh, fun fact. going to get oh, traded. Like, it seemed like he was going to get traded at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So they lock him up. Fun fact, now that they have signed him to a $100 million contract, there are only three teams in MLB that have never signed a player to a $100 million contract. I don't know if you already saw this, uh, but do you know who those three teams are? I have not. The Oakland Athletics. That's one of them. Tampa Bay Rays. No, surprisingly. Mm. Kansas City. No, Kansas City, I think it has. Yeah, no, Kansas City's another one of them. Um. Okay. And... The last one is kind of surprising to me. Detroit Tigers. No. Can I get a hint? They're in the Tigers division. They're a team that we've been high on the past couple of years and they haven't delivered. Oh, the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they've never signed a $100 million contract. But, I will uh, say the best again, player on their past couple teams did just leave them, so it kind of makes sense. You know, but while you were guessing that, like, it made me wonder, who who have the Rays spent $100 million on? That's what I want to know. Wander Franco. Didn't Wander Franco just get a big contract from them last year? Off the top uh, of my head. He might have. Oh, Evan Longoria. They signed him to a 10-year extension at one point that was worth exactly $100 million. There we go. Um, but yeah, Wander Franco signed an 11-year, $182 million deal last year. So, so yeah, they've, they, they've signed a couple of big deals like that. But yeah, the A's, the Royals, and the White Sox have never signed a $100 million contract. And, um, and one thing I you know we haven't talked about this is, well, I guess it's finally happening. The Las Vegas Athletics. Yep. Um, yeah, that came out right after we uh, put out last week's episode, so we missed out on talking about that last week. But yeah, seems like it's official. It's sad. Well, a lot of emotions on yeah. that one. I mean, it's the last team. It's truly, you know, the obviously the Raiders left, and then Golden State, who is moved from Oakland to San Francisco, and now, you know, you have uh, the Oakland A's, which. Ultimately, this was the owner's goal since he, he bought the team. He's never truly invested in the team. He's never truly – we'll see. Like, he's wanted a new stadium. Like, I, you know, it's not the worst owners, ownership in sports, but it's pretty bad, the owner of the Oakland Athletics, just looking at how much he's not invested in this team. The payroll has gone down since he bought the team. Yeah. That makes no sense. Yeah. And the club is worth – $1.4 billion. And I think he bought it for what? Like $200 million? Something like that. It's $1.4 billion and the payroll is like $30 million. So we'll see. I mean, if they move to Vegas and they actually, you know, invest in this team, I guess that's a, at the end of the day, you get another team wanting to participate. And I think Vegas is a cool market. I just hate that they're leaving Oakland at the end of the day because the fans love baseball there. They never 
truly got it fully invested. You know, they had a, a football stadium as a baseball stadium, basically, for the last two decades plus. And it, 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 it kind of breaks your heart to see. I mean, we kind of sensed this was coming when you only, you know, it just, it just sucks. It does. The day, it just sucks. I mean, expansion, I think, is going to happen. And maybe Oakland, that's how Oakland gets a team again. But we've kind of always said that about Seattle when it comes to basketball. And we'll see. So it looks like Vegas will be the first choice when it comes to a basketball expansion team. But uh, we'll see. I think you're right, though. I mean, it, it the ownership has not done enough to try to keep this team. And they point to, you know, they've tried to work with the city to get a new ballpark, to get a waterfront stadium, and it hasn't worked out. And they try to blame this now on fans because they say that fans aren't coming to the games but I've seen, I've read some articles, I've seen some stuff over the past week that, you know, they purposefully made it difficult for fans to come to games. Like there was one particular experience. It was a, a longtime season ticket holder who, you know, obviously couldn't go to the games during COVID. And then when they opened up the stadium again, they had some sections blocked off. So he used to sit behind the home plate. They moved him further away. And I think down the third baseline and charged him more for his tickets. And then when the stadium fully reopened, they still didn't give him the option to move back to his home plate seats. And they moved him further away again and charged him more for his tickets. And so it's like his options were either just pay more for worse seats or give up his season tickets, stop going to games and give ownership, you know, proof that fans aren't going to games. But they just made it really difficult for fans to, to go to the games and to support the team. And then when fans stop supporting the team, they point to that as, oh, Oakland doesn't support us. It's just a bad situation all around. And I do feel for the fans in Oakland that do really like the team and that do really support it and that want to go to the games. And it's just, a, it's, I mean, I don't know. It, it does suck. Um, I've never been in a situation like this as a fan because all the teams that I root for, like I don't have a hometown team that I root for. So I've never been in this situation. I don't know what it's like, but it, it can't be fun if you're someone who lives in a city with the sports team and they end up leaving you. It's got to suck. All right. Another high note to end the episode on. I know that will do it for this episode of the foul ball area podcast. Give us your thoughts at trail VT at Matkins news at foul ball area, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, subscribe, wherever you get the podcast, leave us a five-star review. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the foul ball area podcast. Thanks for listening to the foul ball area podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. So you get new episodes as soon as they come out.